Thank you, Pastor, for those uh, very kind words, and hope my presence testifies that I'm not dead yet. <laughs> Somebody look at me and say, well, you're pretty close. <clears throat> and my eyes are actually doing that uh, this morning. I'm having some special trouble. Since your study is right there, do you think you might have a, an ESV with a little larger text than what I'm using right here? Thank you. Well, it is great to be here. I've known Joe for some time and um, because he asked me to work or just to provide some input on the project he did on missionary David Brainerd several years ago. So we've interacted at T4G and other places then, as he mentioned, at the seminary. And uh, I've, I've come to admire him. I appreciate him for his devotion. And now even more so as I see this congregation and your zeal, your earnestness for the Lord and the faithfulness you have. Uh, for scripture, for the way of salvation, and to conform this church and your lives to the Bible. And that means uh, a great deal to me. He asked me today, meaning both in the previous hour and this one, to talk about a book I've written, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? And in general, on the subject of assurance. And so we did, as I said, sort of a shotgun approach in uh, the previous hour, answering a number of questions and so forth, we're going to do more of a specific and more rifle approach here in uh, this hour. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Going to look at assurance from the perspective of what I'm going to call spiritual mindedness. And in essence, if you are spiritually minded, you are a Christian. We'll have to define that term here in just a moment. Let me begin this way. Um, Each of us, as we know, daydreams on occasion. And sometimes in those daydreams, we fantasize. Uh, We we, we think about something that is a fantasy, fantastic. Uh, We would say it's when it's called uh, fantasizing. And uh, since childhood, many men, as I have have fantasized about what it would be like to uh, hit that three ball, two strike, bases loaded, grand slam, walk off grand slam to win the uh, World Series, or maybe some long snake like touchdown to win the Super Bowl on the last play, or the uh, NCAA championship, or some twisting Michael Jordan type shot to win the NBA championship. And, uh, you know, you you think about these kinds of things, what that experience would be like. Many of us have fantasized about what we would do if we were told we had inherited millions and millions of dollars from some long-lost relative. Uh, Where we'd live, what kind of uh, home we would have built, what kind of car we would drive, where we might travel. And... uh, and so forth. My wife and I were eating out uh, in our neighborhood Monday night, uh, I think it was, and uh, saw a, a very expensive car, but it was a, a color I'd never seen, sort of an olive color. And my wife, uh, that's kind of her color palette, you know, the fall colors. And I said, that, that could be your fall car. You know, if we <laughs> inherit millions and millions of dollars somewhere, that could be your fall car. And then, you know, December, you get a winter car, and, you know, you just kind of change cars quarterly according to the color of the car. Well, you fantasize about things like that, and maybe you've daydreamed about being a, you know, courageous battlefield hero or, 
or a, a lovely ballerina or figure skater or maybe uh, an accomplished musician or master craftsman or just someone happily married. Maybe you sometimes imagine what it would be like to be a top gun jet fighter pilot, a spellbinding speaker, a, an incredible singer, a vocalist of some sort, or someone just who lives a quiet life in the mountains or on a lakeside cabin far from I-90 and <laughs> lake effect snow and crowds and hurry. Doubtless you've had fantasies of heaven and what it must be like to be there. Probably on occasion you've thought about the horrors of hell. And continuing further down that path, it's not uncommon to fantasize occasionally about different physical pleasures, what it would be like to have them without limitation or accountability. But of all your fantasies, which one's the strongest? Which is the one that if it were within your power to fulfill it, which would you choose? Which one, when you imagine it, thrills you more than any other? If you had the power to choose one and to make it come true, which would it be? Well, in his or her best moments, Christian would choose to at last see God, to be in the presence of God, to be in heaven, to be with God, to be made perfect, and to be without sin. That's because within every believer, God has planted the Holy Spirit who gives us holy hungers, holy desires, holy longings, holy appetites. You long to live in a holy body without sin anymore. You long to live with a holy mind, never drawn to temptation and sin ever again. To live in a holy and perfect world with holy and perfect people. And at last see the one the angels call holy, holy, holy. That moment when as Revelation 21 says, they will see his face. That's what the Christian would choose in his or her best moments. You think about that, and that's the one you would choose if you could make it happen. And though, yes, a Christian fantasizes about other things, even sinful things, the most absorbing fantasy is with the things of God and ultimately the face of God. But that's not true with others. The non-Christian can identify himself or herself as one who, if they could indulge any one fantasy, would be Likely some sin. Certainly not a God-centered fantasy. But probably some sin. Their most compelling daydream is to gratify some sinful desire without restraint, without law, without limit, and ultimately without God. And that demonstrates the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian as described in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5 this way. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit 
set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Two kinds of people there. And notice in verse 4, right above that, that, that begins this idea of two different sorts of people. Uh, let me emphasize that it's two and not three. It's not that you have two kinds of Christians, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit and then those who kind of set their minds on the things of the flesh and then there's lost people. No, there are only two kinds of people described here. Look in chapter 8 and verse 4. It begins in the middle of a thought, in order that the righteous requirement of the law What's that? Perfection, complete obedience to the law of God. You always keep the law of God. You never break the law of God. This holy righteousness, perfection, that this might be fulfilled in us. Us who? Who walk not according to the flesh, that's lost people, but those who live according to uh, 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 but according to the Spirit. So you got two kinds of people. Those whose mind is set on the things of the flesh, they're not believers, they're lost, they're not going to heaven, and those whose mind is set according to the Spirit. There are just two kinds of people, not three kinds, two, two levels of Christians and then lost people. It's one or the other. And this continues in verses 5 through 9 again there, so let's read 5 again. For those who live according to the flesh, that's on one side. Their minds are set on the things of the flesh. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind back on this side here, of the spirit is life and peace. For back on the other hand, the other kind of person, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's not a Christian, is it? It's not some second level Christian. That's not a Christian at all. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it, is, it cannot, well, that's clearly not a Christian, just cannot bring himself, cannot bring herself to submit to the law of God. I want to do what I want to do. I'm not there. There's a line that I will draw that I will not submit to the law of God. That's not a Christian. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's not a Christian. But on the other hand, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if one thing is true, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God is present. You're in this group. You are in the Spirit. And we're going to see in a moment, they're, they're kind of different levels within that group, but everybody's in one group or the other. You're in the group whose mind is set according to the flesh. You live according to the flesh. You cannot please God. Your mind is hostile to God. Or you're in this group. And your mind is set on the things of the Spirit. And how do we know, or what's the qualifier? If the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you're indwelled by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is present, you are in this group. So two kinds of people in the world, two kinds of people described in this passage. And there are two kinds of people, different Levels within here, but basically the Bible says what you set your mind on indicates whether you're saved or lost. So we're back to this subject of assurance today, and I'm saying one of the evidences of salvation is a mind set on the things of the Spirit. 
And it's one of two things. It's either your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, you're right with God, you're a Christian, you have eternal life, or your mind is set on the things of the flesh, because you're not a dwell by the Spirit, you're not going to heaven, you're not right with God, you're not a Christian. So these verses teach that what you set your mind on indicates whether you're saved or lost. Whether your mind is set on the things of God, that's spiritual life, the mind is set on the things other than God-centered things, it is the things of death. The King James Bible uses in this passage terms like spiritually minded and carnally minded instead of uh, the flesh and the spirit. I'm going to borrow from that term here, spiritually minded, because frankly it helps me today. And to ask you this question, are you spiritually minded? And spiritually minded doesn't mean a more devoted Christian than other Christians. It means is the spirit in your mind? That's what was meant in the King James Bible. That's what Paul is talking about here. Is the spirit in you, particularly in your mind? If so, you're a Christian. And you know that the spirit is in your mind by what your mind is set on. And think of a radio frequency being set on a particular frequency. In this case, it's the frequency of heaven. And God sets that frequency And you can't fix it until God fixes it. There's a frequency from heaven and a frequency of the world, and our mind is set on a particular frequency. The things we tend to think about. So that doesn't mean the Christians, true believers, sometimes or always think about the right things. They never think about sinful things, nor does it mean that Lost people don't think about God sometimes. Don't think about spiritual things. Or don't think about, you know, high-minded, noble, philanthropic, uh, or, or even, you know, just inner types of things. I'm a professor of biblical spirituality. Spirituality is a big thing in our culture now, right? Everywhere. Everyone is spiritual. Try to find anyone today who says, you know, I'm just not very spiritual. Everybody's spiritual. I have a survey from the front of USA Today where a majority of atheists consider themselves spiritual people. But what Paul is saying here when it says spiritual, when he uses the term spiritual, he means the things related to the Spirit of God. The mind set on the things of the Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit of God, not just inward interior kinds of things, the inner person, spiritual things. That's not what he means here. Those who are spiritually minded think about things related to the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is in their mind. So I want to use the term spiritually minded, referring to as the Spirit in your mind, if you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and ask you the question then, are you spiritually minded? That's really important because taking notes point one here only those who are spiritually minded are christians only spiritually minded people are christians so this verse these verses teach that what you set your mind on indicates your spiritual condition the thoughts of your mind reveal the state of your soul the thoughts of your mind reveal the state of your soul if your mind is set on 
the things of the world, sinful nature, then you're lost. If your mind is set on the things of God, then you are a Christian. The Bible says the very same thing over in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. So keep your place here, but let me demonstrate this from another part of Scripture that indicates the mind is sort of like a, it's the mirror of your soul. It indicates what's going on inside. If, if you want to know what's going on here in your soul, look up here and you'll find out. So if you want to know if, if you're a Christian, then your, your mindset will reveal that. And we're told the same thing over in Philippians 3, uh, 18 and 19, where Paul talks about uh, many, he says, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even now. He's talking about un unbelievers. He's talking to the Philippian church about outsiders. He says they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's not a Christian, is it? They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he describes them this way. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, what they ought to be ashamed of, they're proud of. And here it is, with minds set on earthly things. Their mindset is horizontal. Their mindset is almost always on things of this world and this life, not the things of the next world and the next life. Not on spiritual things, the things of God, but on the things of this world, things they can see, things that they can touch, the things that are relating to only life before physical death. And these things that we think about indicate which group we're in, and we're in one of two groups. Non-Christians who set their minds on the things of the flesh, of the world. Christians who set their minds on the things of the Spirit of God. As I said I would get to, there are different levels within each group. So in, in those minds set on the things of the flesh, there are people who just, their whole life, all they care is about the baser things of the world, a little more than, than animals in this regard, just care about the, the basic passions and, and degrading things of the world. And then there are people on this side who are not indwelled by the Spirit of God, who are very noble-minded from a worldly perspective, they're philanthropic, they're great neighbors, they pay their taxes, they do their jobs, they're responsible people, they help people, they, they are people, you, again, you're glad to have as a neighbor. They contribute to society, but still, they are in the group that the Bible calls the mindset on things of the flesh. Then on this side, and all of the people on this side are indwelled by the Spirit of God. Some are more devoted to Christ and some are less so. And some are even, we'd use the term, uh, backslidden. And this is discussion even came up during the break here. It's very important here to know the distinction between these two Bible terms, the backslidden and the apostate. The apostate is the person who looks like a Christian, they look like the real deal, and then they fall away, proving that they were never a Christian in the first place. This is Demas. This is Judas. Judas fooled all the apostles. Right? When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't all turn and look at Judas. Yeah, we wondered about him all along. And I said, one of you will betray me. They all said, Lord, is it I? No one suspected Judas more than any other. And then Demas fooled Paul. If anyone knew the marks of salvation, it's the Apostle Paul, right? And yet Demas fooled Paul for many years. But both Judas and Demas proved at the end 
After long appearing to be the real thing, they were not. They became apostates. And this happens in every generation. Famous ones. But then there's the term backslidden. To be backslidden, you have to have something to slide back from. So the backslider has the real thing. They are converted, but they slide back from it for a while. But they prove they are a real Christian because backsliders come back. That's John Mark, who wrote our second gospel. He left Paul and Barnabas on the mission field, abandoned them, backslid. But we know later on, Paul writes, when you come, bring Mark. He's very useful to me for ministry. And he wrote our second gospel. So he came back proving that he was the real deal. Can you die in a backslidden condition as a real Christian, but you don't look like it? You never come back? Well, theoretically, yes, but uh, I don't think you want to find out. So all these people are in the spirit. All these people are spiritually minded. The spirit is in their mind. And some of them are the most devoted Christians in the world. Others are backslidden and somewhere in between. But they're all, in the Romans 8 category, in the spirit. They're all saved. The Spirit is within them. My wife and I had a, a young woman who was in our church in the Chicago area. She was saved uh, just this month of the year. It was, she'd watched one of these horrible you know, Halloween movies, and it scared her to death. She was like 21, and she came to church the next morning. I remember her sitting on, next to the back row and crying, and as she walked out, you know, she's just sobbing so heavily she couldn't even talk to me. She went out. That afternoon, she was converted, gloriously converted, came home, came back to church. And then for the next uh, couple of years, man, I mean, it's, it's like a fly on the screen door. Every time I opened the door, there she was, you know. Uh, was at her house all the time, wanted to learn to grow. She went with us on a mission trip to bush country of Kenya. I mean, we lived out in tents, and uh, there she was witnessing and just gloriously saved out of a horrible, horrible background. But she wanted to be loved and married so much. But she was convinced that because of her background, no really godly Christian young man could ever love her. Um, I mean, she had been raised in a home. Her mother had lived with a series of men. I'm not even sure she knew who her dad was. The men who lived with her mom would, you know, abuse her in every kind of way. And so the time came... Uh, when at the encouragement of her mom, she moved in with a man older than her mom. And uh, that led to another series of things. And uh, it took us two years to find her. She had told her mom, they'll come looking for me. That's right, because we love her. And uh, don't let them know where I am. Finally, we found out where she was. It took more than two years. And my wife and some others met her at her car when she got off her shift at midnight somewhere. And uh, they told her, uh, you know, we'd been praying for her. The number of us had fasted 10 days for her. And all that made her realize, this is who really loves me. You know, if you'll let someone ruin their life, you don't try to rescue them. You don't really love them, do you? This member of our church had ruined her life. We wanted to rescue her because we loved her. And when she realized people would search for her that long, fast for 10 days for her, that's who really loves me. So she gloriously repented and came back. And I had the joy of 
baptizing a young man. And they would be married before too long. They served the Lord in, uh, today with a number of children. But she heard me talk about these things. And she said, that is so true. When I was, when I was running from the Lord, I, it was though I intentionally put my hands over my ears. I didn't want to hear about the things of God. I thought I would find happiness back in the world. But the deeper I went, the more miserable I became. Because the Holy Spirit would not leave me alone. The Holy Spirit kept bringing verses to my mind, kept bringing things from your sermons back to my mind. And I was never more miserable in my life than when I was running from God. And finally, he brought her back. He used God's people to bring her back. And as I said, she's faithfully serving the Lord today. But what's the point? Even when she was backslidden, the Spirit of God was in her mind. And he wouldn't let her go. The Spirit of God kept reminding her and convicting her and, he, and bringing Scripture to her mind. But even when backslidden, she was in the Spirit. So we're all in one of two groups. And your mindset reveals which group you are in. Your mind is the mirror of your soul. The point is this, those who are according to the flesh, back to verse 5 there, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Your mind is the mirror of your soul. Your mind is like a, a periscope in reverse. You know how a periscope works, right? You look down here and you see up here. But this is a periscope in reverse. You want to see what's going on in, down here? You look up here. You look in the periscope. You look in your mind, and it will reflect what's going on in here. The mind is a mirror of the soul. The mind is like a periscope in reverse. You look in your mind to see what your spiritual condition is. Now, this, this term the Bible uses in Romans 8, to set the mind, refers to what you think about. Your mind is set on what you think about when you don't have to think about anything. You're looking at the window of a car or an airplane or you're lying in bed trying to go to sleep or you're just daydreaming. What are the kinds of things that your mind reverts to? When you don't have to be focused on something, what sorts of things most commonly does your mind revert to? Your mind's sort of in neutral. Well, when your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, you often find yourself thinking about God and the things of God. If your mind is set on the flesh, it's not thinking often about God and the things of God, but it's drawn, it's attracted to, to other things. Now, it's not just when it says you're, it's attracted to things of the flesh. That's not necessarily bodily things. We read about the flesh and we think about you know, physical sins. It is that, but it's a lot more than that. It's, in general, to be thinking about anything other than how it relates to the things of God. So you can be thinking about sports. You can be thinking about people in Florida after a hurricane and helping them. But it's not related to God and the things of God, so even that is the things of the flesh or the things of the world. So it can be Obvious sinful thoughts, it can be good things, but God is not a part of it. 
And that's what the Bible calls the things of the flesh. So when you think about anything that's not connected somehow to God, that's what this thinking is discussed here in the things of the flesh. It's described this way in Psalm 10 and verse 4. This is the way the non-Christian thinks. And again, I'm going to be using an older translation here because it helps. It says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Here's the phrase. God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts. Good thoughts, bad thoughts. Thoughts about good things, thoughts about bad things. Whatever it is, God is not in, in all of them. Christians, though, just think differently. Not only do Christians think about different things, they think differently about the same things. They think about the things of the Spirit, as it says here. Capital S, the things of the Spirit of God. You think about God. You think about Jesus. You think about the gospel. You think about things from the Bible. You think about doing things as, as the Lord would have you do. I should do this because this is the will of God. I should help this person because that's what Jesus would do. I'm convicted about this, so I stop it. I, I'm prompted to speak to that person because I believe the Spirit's prompting me to do that, so I do that. This is what it means to think according to things of the Spirit. When you think about things in connection with God, sometimes you even wonder, what does God think about what I'm thinking? Almost everything, sooner or later, becomes a God-related, God-connected thought. Do you think like this? This is what it means to be spiritually minded. Now, I'm, I'm going to expand that, I hope, in a more helpful way. I was really helped on this by the thoughts of a, uh, an English theologian, the most famous Puritan theologian, John Owen. I'm sure that name has been mentioned very often in, in this church. But one of his best known books is a little one called The Grace and Duty of Spiritual Mindedness. And in it, he talks. He describes spiritual mindedness in three ways. Let me go back and give the big picture. Spiritual mindedness is to have the spirit in your mind, to be indwelled by the spirit, to be a Christian. And this evidence has to do with, you know, what do you think about? It's one of the evidences of, of Christian if your spirit, if your mind thinks about the things of the spirit. And here he says, here are three indications that is true. So first of all, which is actually point two if you're taking notes here. The first of these three indications, but my second major point, you are spiritually minded when you think about the things of God spontaneously and apart from external causes. You're a Christian. You're spiritually minded when you think about God and the things of God spontaneously and apart from external causes. Now, that last part about external causes, everybody thinks about God and thinks of God sometime. Everyone in this room has thought about God at least a little bit this morning. Even the most spiritually dead person here, the most apathetic person here. Because external causes are putting God and the things of God in your mind. You're reading big words on the screen that talk about God. You're hearing person after person talk about God and the things of God from this place. We're singing together songs about God. But you can do all of that and still be apart from the Spirit of God. But even think you're a Christian. Because I've been thinking about God all morning here. Well, but it's always 
externally caused. And even during the week, you see a hurricane, these horrible things, and you think, you know, all these people died. What if I, that had been me? Where would I be right now? Or you think, was this an act of God? Or how is God involved with this? Or what should we think about God because of this? And so God is brought into the picture a little bit here. But it was caused by a hurricane. A Christian, the spiritually minded, think about God often just spontaneously. Apart from any external cause at all. You're driving. You're looking at the window of an airplane. Your, your mind is sort of in neutral. And, and what does it go to? It thinks about God and the things of God. Without any explanation. Without any obvious cause. Externally or even internally. You just suddenly you, you, you look at some billowy clouds and think, you know, someday Jesus is going to cut through right through a sky like that and come back to this earth. You crunch through beautiful fall leaves and you think, man, <laughs> heaven's going to be even more beautiful than this. You look at some glorious sunset and, and you think of, oh man, I, I just long to go to a place where all that beauty came from. And you see, you know, the tiny fingernails of a, of a baby in the light of the night light, those soft shadows. And you just think, glory to God. That creates, some, creates something so beautiful, so alive, so, so precious. And other people see that. See, they're babies and don't think of God. Other people think of sun, look at sunsets and don't think of God. Other people see beautiful fall leaves and don't think of God. But those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit are prompted by the Holy Spirit in these Godward thoughts. You can't think of anything very long without thinking of God. Spontaneously, you think of God. Someone says, well, look, Whitney, you just don't get it. You've never seen me at my job, right? I am so busy all day long, turning from one thing to another, having to try to answer emails while I'm, I'm listening to someone on the phone, and I'm, I, I, it's like that all day long. I don't have time to stop and think about God. Yeah, that's the point. A Christian doesn't have to stop to think about God. They can't help but think about God. In the worst of days, when you've got phones to both ears almost and someone else is trying to get your attention, and if nothing else, you're thinking, Lord, I thank you it's not always like this. <laughs> you see how that's still a Godward thought? In the midst of the most distracting situations, you're, you're, maybe you're saying, Lord, forgive me for how angry I am. Lord, get, show me what to say to this person. Lord, how do I respond? How do I deal with this situation? I'm going crazy. Even the busiest times, a Christian is, okay, I'm going to stop and think about God now. Yeah, you do that. We call that a quiet time. Where you say, look, I'm going to pull aside and I'm going to think about God and the things of God from his word for a few minutes here. 
I'm going to go to church or I'm going to be focused on God for a period of time. Yeah, a Christian does it. They intentionally stop to think about God and the things of God. But a Christian doesn't have to stop to think about God. They can't help it. There's another person living within you. And this person who is not a force, we just saw this past week, some 50% almost of those who claim to be evangelicals believe the Holy Spirit is not a person, but some sort of force. But the Bible says he's a third person of the triune Godhead. And there's another person living within you if you're a Christian. If you're any expectant moms here today, two people or other people are living within you. There are three people in your body if you're an expectant mom who's a Christian. But another person is living within your body, and that person is not passive. He's not just sort of a presence inside of you. It's a person, and he's not passive. And he makes his presence known. And one of the ways he does that is he causes you to think about God and the things of God just spontaneously. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the evidence that you're converted, the evidence that another person is living within you. You think about God and the things of God when there's no apparent reason, spontaneously. At this, this very moment, mobile phone signals are coursing through this room, I guess, I don't know, by the thousands. Someone probably tell us. There are phone conversations going through your body right now. Do you realize that? Someone in Cleveland is talking to someone in Pittsburgh and it's going right through your chest, you know. And this room is flooded with television signals and satellite communication. You've not been aware of any of it. Why? Because your mind is not set on that frequency. But there are devices that when they're set to that frequency, pick that up. Until we are born again, until our, we are regenerated, until God's words, as he says in Hebrews, his laws are put within our minds, we don't think on that frequency. But when the Holy Spirit indwells you, he, he does something you can't do for yourself. He, he tunes your mind to the frequency of heaven, and it's... I've got to be careful of this, lest you misunderstand, but the Spirit of God broadcasts on that frequency. I'm not talking about words from God here. I'm not talking about inspired communication, but I mean the, the fact that He, you are aware that He is prompting you, He's encouraging you through His Word, that, that there, the Spirit of God is alive and at work with you. He draws your attention to the things of God. He makes you sensitive to the things of God. That's brand new once the Spirit of God indwells you. And if this is true... You find yourself unexpectedly, spontaneously thinking of God and the things of God a lot. That's a mark of a Christian. Third point, second indication, you're spiritually minded. So I said, only those who are spiritually minded are Christians. Here's what it looks like. The spiritually minded think about God and the things of God spontaneously and apart from external causes. Now you're spiritually minded when you think about the things of God more than anything else. You're a Christian only if you think about the things of God more than you think about anything else. You know, whoa, wait a minute there. Realize one of the greatest evidences of conversion is before you come to Christ, 
you find this whole di- change in the direction you're thinking when you do come to Christ. To think wrongly about God, now to think rightly about God. To think little about God, now to think a lot about God. What an indication that you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to illustrate that when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you think about God and the things of God no matter more than anything else. No matter how focused you have to be on your job, no matter how much your little children take your attention during the day, no matter how many demands are put upon you, if you're a Christian, you think about God and the things of God more than anything else. Now, this is illustrated for us in the Bible, in, in Psalm 119, even. The writer there testified to his daily abundance of spontaneous spiritual thoughts. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And that doesn't mean he stopped, okay, his, you know, his hourglass went off on his hand and he said, okay, time, time one of seven to look at the law of God. And a little later, went off again, okay, time two, and I do this seven times a day. What he meant is all day long, I'm thinking about God and the things of God. He's not walking around with some big scroll seven times a day, but the things of God spontaneously come to his mind. And this is the way it is with a Christian. The Spirit of God spontaneously sends your mind Godward throughout the day. And the reason we can say when you're a Christian, you think about God and the things of God more than anything else is because you can't think about anything very long without it becoming a God-related thought. I want you to imagine a wall of post office boxes. You've seen that before? You go in the post office, the whole wall is nothing but post office boxes. That's the way your mind is. And behind each of those boxes is a different category, if we can make it that compartmentalized. Okay, here's your sports thoughts, here's your financial thoughts, here's your home maintenance thoughts, here's your marriage thoughts, here's your parental thoughts, here's your neighbor thoughts, you know, and, and, and you've got all kinds of categories, bill-paying thoughts, uh, you know, every, everything you think, your political thoughts, all different categories of thought. And the world can put thoughts in there. You can put thoughts in there. And some of those dominate more than other areas. But when you are born again, you have a new postmaster back there. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can put thoughts Related to God in every one of those boxes. And you can't open any of those boxes and think about anything very long without relating it to God. Because now every one, and, and for the non-Christian, they have some, you know, box of God thoughts, if you will. Maybe church thoughts if they come to church. And they open those God, open that box related to God thoughts every once in a while. But now when you're born again, when the Spirit of God indwells you, the Holy Spirit is on the other side putting God-related thoughts into every box. You can't think about sports very long without somehow relating it to God. You know, is this, am I giving too much importance to this? How, how important is this really? And, and you, you connect somehow sport thoughts with God if you think of it long enough. You're work thoughts, your leisure thoughts. Everything in life becomes a God-related thought sooner or later for the Christian. That's why we can say you think about God and the things of God more than anything else because a Christian doesn't think about anything very long 
without it becoming a God-related thought. As I said earlier, sometimes you even think, I wonder what God thinks about what I'm thinking right now. Does God call, am I thinking too much? Does God think I'm thinking too much about football or hobbies or work or whatever it is? So you are a Christian when you think about God and the things of God more than you think about anything else. And most conclusive of all, you're spiritually minded when you think about God and the things of God, even when you sin. Think about that. When you're walking away from God for a few moments, so to speak, either mentally or in your actions, and you're thinking about sin more than God. Often, even as you're considering and thinking about sin, you know it's wrong. God is convicting you. And sometimes, even as soon as you commit the sin, what is your first thought? You turn to God with the guilt of sin freshly smeared upon you. You say, well, God, forgive me. That's unnatural. It is unnatural to be walking away from God and still thinking about God. It's unnatural, having acted in disobedience to God, to first think about God. That's unnatural. That's the point. It's supernatural. Only the Holy Spirit causes you to do that. To be grieved that you sin against God. To confess sin against God. To not be satisfied, as you thought, with sin against God. That's the Holy Spirit. So that even when we're doing that, which is the antithesis of God, we're thinking, we're still thinking about God. Take a compass. And you shake up that compass, you know, the, the needle is going all over the place. But what happens? You, you let it settle down. And before long, it comes back and always points north. That's the Christian mind. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Like Elvis, your mind may be all shook up. And it's all over the place. It's, you know, the Browns going to lose again. Uh, so how's they going to win again? Uh, you know, we, how much snow are we going to get? And, you know, what's going on politically? And my goodness, my work, everything's going crazy. My, my kids are sick. And, you know, your mind is all over the place. It's just your mind is a mess. But just Within a little time, when things slow down even a little bit, your mind comes back to God and the things of God. Always. Always. The Spirit of God is in your mind doing that. That's what a Christian experiences. So third, you are spiritually, and the fourth point altogether, but third related to this, you're spiritually minded when you think about God and the things of God with more delight and enjoyment than anything else. With more delight and enjoyment. In other words, you enjoy thinking about God and the things of God more than anything else. Now, that doesn't mean you can't just, you love your grandchildren so much, you just want to squeeze them to pieces sometimes. That doesn't mean you can't come leaping off the couch, you know, when the Browns score a touchdown. And yes, and that, and that punctilier moment of, of great excitement and joy. Yeah, that's real for Christians. But over time, day in and day out, there's nothing a Christian enjoys talking about, thinking about more than God and the things of God. You enjoy thinking about God? 
enjoy talking about God and the things of God? Is God a magnet for your mind? The Christian cannot not think about God very long. He's the magnet that draws your mind. Thoughts of God are irrepressible. And you know it's not you doing it. It's nice you don't care. I got to be more. I got to think about God more. Even an unbeliever tries that. They can't. They can't change their mindset. They can't endure it. Have no appetite for it, really. But even they may try. I'm going to think about God more. They can't. Their appetites are elsewhere and they cannot endure it. But the Christian finds it just the opposite. You can't not think about God for very long. Thoughts of God are irrepressible. They're irresistibly beautiful sooner or later. I can't be satisfied to just think about the world. When I, force myself, when I find myself being forced to do that, it's like, I'm done with this. <laughs> I, this is not my world. This is not my home. I don't want to think about it all the time. I need to think about God and things of God. That's why you're here in part, isn't it, this morning? To hear from God and another world and the world to come. The truth, to hear the things of God, because you have an appetite for it. Most of your neighbors aren't here. Most of your neighbors slept in. Most of your neighbors stayed home. You went to the trouble getting ready, getting the kids ready, getting here. Why? Out of sheer obligation? No. Because down underneath it all, you've got something stronger that will overcome all that inertia, the resistance of getting here. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit saying, I love God and the things of God and the Word of God, and I want to hear from the Word of God and from His people. Lastly, this is very brief. Number five, you are not spiritually minded if God is not in all your thoughts. We're back to Psalm 10:4. Again, remember, writing about the wicked, word we don't use that much anymore, but One of the words the Bible uses for those who are not believers. David describes the wicked this way. God is not in all his thoughts. So they think about the future. Well, they don't consult the will of God. It doesn't matter to them. They're not concerned about the will of God, the ways of God. They, They don't wonder what pleases God. And if you could project, if they had a little screen on their, mind, on their foreheads where you could see every one of their thoughts, there would be very few of them that had any connection with God and the things of God at all. And any that appeared there would have been projected from elsewhere. They see pictures of the hurricane that makes them think about God. Why did God allow this maybe or something like that? And so they think about God, but the, it was from the outside. That's the non-believer. Is God in all your thoughts? The unbeliever, God is not in all their thoughts. But for the believer, God is in all your thoughts. You don't think about any category of thought very long without relating it to God. Well, let me apply this now and we'll finish. First is the obvious question, are you spiritually minded? Are you spiritually minded? Is God a magnet for your mind? Do you find the things of God irrepressible? 
Do you often think about God spontaneously, abundantly, delightfully? That's what we just talked about. Think about things of God spontaneously, abundantly, delightfully. Is that true for you? Do you enjoy thinking about God and seeing Jesus and heaven and living in a holy world, being without sin at last? You think much about that. Take heart. That's the way a Christian thinks. And the other thing in closing is that God will change the thinking of all those who come to Jesus Christ. You can't change your mindset. You can't change that frequency. It's like a broken radio where you, you can't change the frequency. You cannot do that. Your mind is set on the things of the flesh, of the world, and that's what you really want the most. There's a promise in Scripture for those who will repent, turn from living for themselves, look to Christ alone to be made right with God, and to come to Him and say, Lord, I can't change myself. I can't fix myself. I can't fix my mindset. When I even try to think about God sooner or later, something else is really more pleasing, more satisfying, and I just can't sustain thoughts about you. Lord, here's my mind. Here's my heart. Help me. Save me. Change me for Jesus' sake. There's a wonderful promise in Hebrews 8.10 where God says to all those who were come to him, I will put my laws into their mind. I will put my laws into their minds. So they're not just external anymore. They're not just things from the outside, the letter of the law. Do this, don't do that. But now from the inside, we love the word of God. And he causes us to think about God and the things of God. He makes us spiritually minded. In 1987, the Minnesota Twins superstar center fielder Kirby Puckett live my fantasy. Since boyhood, I would watch the end of the World Series and see after the last out is made just this dog pile on the pitcher's mound, these grown men just run and with reckless abandon throw themselves on top of one another out of sheer delight. They have won the World Series. They are the champions and they have anticipated this since they were five years old. Since they were five years old, they thought about this. And like me, they fantasized about that moment. And they have it. They experience it. And just the reckless abandon of joy, just casting themselves with delight in a big pile, enjoying the championship. I saw, I heard an interview with the shortstop on that team in January, following the World Series at the end of October. And it was with their shortstop, Greg Gagne. And they asked, what's it like? You know, we've all seen the, the cameras in the locker room afterwards, and they're pouring, you know, champagne and stuff over each other, and they're rubbing it out of their eyes, and, and they're hugging each other and just delighted and, and thrilled to death. 
And he describes that. Yeah, that, you know, we kind of anticipated that. But he said, the strangest thing to me was I looked over here, and here was Kirby Puckett, our superstar, our most valuable player. He carried this team on, their, on his back to the world championship, and he's sitting by himself in his locker with his head down. And that was just so out of place at that moment. So I picked my way over the TV cables and around all the cameramen and stuff and went over and said, hey, Kirby, what's going on, man? He said he looked up with the saddest face you ever saw and said, if this is all there is to it, life is pretty empty. 600 seconds after he got everything he had lived for. After his greatest fantasy was fulfilled, he experienced it. And 600 seconds later, he said, this is all there is to it. Life is pretty empty. What's your greatest fantasy? That great theologian, 4th century theologian Augustine said, everyone is trying to be happy. Everyone wants to experience their fantasy. Everyone's trying to be happy, but no one's happy. And there are two reasons, he said, why no one's happy. Number one is they don't get what they want. They don't win the World Series. They don't even make it to the major leagues. They get injured. Or they just don't get the job they want. They don't get the spouse they want. They don't get the house they want. They don't get the income they want. They don't get the education they want. They don't get the family they want. They don't get what they want. And so they're not happy. But the other reason people aren't happy is... They do get what they want, and it doesn't satisfy. Their greatest fantasy, like Kirby Puckett's, is fulfilled, and seconds later they say, if this is all there is to it, life is pretty empty. I don't know what your greatest fantasy is, but if it's anything other than the face of God and the glories of heaven, you're going to be disappointed. You will be disappointed. But if your greatest fantasy is the most beautiful, the most beautiful sight in the universe, those eyes like a flame of fire, the face of Jesus Christ, and I go back to it over and over in Revelation 21, and it talks about all tears will be wiped away, all wiped away, all pain is gone, but then what grabs me every time is they will see his face. Ultimately, any fantasy besides that one is disappointing. Come to Christ. Imagine the greatest fantasy you ever could, and infinitely beyond that, it will be satisfied. Because those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus said, they will be satisfied in him. Let's pray.